today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Again, to answer the aforementioned question of why is it that we don't pray, well, we make excuses. No, that is what it is, an excuse, because think about it. If it's important, you'll make time for it. I'm getting so convicted right now, but I mean, I know in my own life, hey, if it's a priority, I'm going to make time for it. If prayer is truly a priority, I'm going to make time for it. I'm not too busy to pray. I'm too busy not to pray. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. Have you ever told somebody you would do something, but you simply just didn't have time? The truth is, we probably just didn't want to do it to begin with. Today, Pastor J.D. is going to be talking about prayer, how Satan's goal is to always make us feel like we simply don't have time to pray. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. And I want you to think this through with me. How many times in your life have you prayed, humbled yourself, even asked for prayer, and then it moved the mighty hand of God in a powerful and I'll add unmistakable way? So much so that you look back on it in retrospect and your only regret is that you didn't do it sooner. And there's almost a sanctified terror and fear of the Lord, which is another thing, by the way, when it comes to wisdom. But it's this reverent awe and fear of, oh my goodness, had I not humbled myself and prayed, I would not have been on the receiving end of this mighty and powerful and even miraculous answer to my prayer. That's another thing we're going to see when we get to James. You have not because you ask not. In other words, had I not prayed, that would have never happened. What what keeps us from prayer? Well, we would say, I'm too busy to pray. To which one responded, you're too busy not to pray. And it surely does not help when you hear of these mightily used men of God of old, now with the Lord, who would say things. I forget who it is, otherwise I would mention his name. Maybe some of you know who he is. But one of these mighty men of God, man of prayer, and he was quoted as saying one time, I've got such a busy day. i got so much to do today. I better spend the first few hours in prayer. What? How are you going to do that? There aren't enough hours in the day. Well, he knew something that I think all of us would do well to know. That as we, and it's very cliche, will often say, prayer changes things. Here's what I'm thinking. You take the time to pray first first and foremost. And God hears that prayer, because He always will, 
And God answers that prayer because He always answers prayer. We, we just may not like the answer, especially when it's no. I like the yes. I don't like the no. You know the one I really don't like is when the answer is wait. Oh, I hate to wait, but just wait. So you take it to the Lord in prayer. First thing you do, and you just lay it all out before the Lord. You say, Lord, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> there's no way that I'm going to make it through this day unless you help me. I need help. Oh, the Lord rushes in. You're looking at your schedule, you're thinking, whoa. And then because you took that time to pray, and it's not the length of the prayer, it's the strength of the prayer. By the way, that does not apply to sermons, just so you know. <laughs> but <laughs> it's the fervent and effectual prayer of one who is righteous in the Lord that accomplishes much. And so we pray effectually. And by the way, again, it doesn't need to be this lengthy. In fact, sometimes those kinds of prayers are so rote. You know what I mean by that? It's the, it's kind of like a routine formality. Listen, Prayer is talking to God. Sometimes it's just crying out to God. Sometimes the best and most powerful prayers are the ones that have no words, only tears. One has referred to them as liquid prayers. Very powerful, those prayers, those crying out to the Lord prayers. So you lay it all out to the Lord, and you've got this day that there's no way, and the Lord is just like waiting at the ready. And you come to Him, you commit your way, your day to the Lord, and the Lord will do it in such a way so that, again, it's unmistakably Him. And that which would have taken you perhaps 10, 11, 12 hours to do that day, <laughs> God does it in five. Let's see, 12 minus 5, that's seven hours I could pray, because it's only going to take five. God is able to do that, and God wants to do that. And again, to answer the aforementioned question of why is it that we don't pray, well, we make excuses. No, that is what it is, an excuse, because think about it, if it's important, you'll make time for it. I'm getting so convicted right now, but I mean, I know in my own life, hey, if it's a priority, I'm going to make time for it. If prayer is truly a priority, I'm going to make time for it. I'm not too busy to pray. I'm too busy not to pray. And by the way, prayer too, and one last thing on this before we move on, very important, please hear me on this. I'm just sharing with you things that have just changed my prayer life over the years in ways that, I mean, again, my only regret is that I didn't do this sooner. But for me, prayer was always this formal ritual, you know, and somehow I just had this notion that the more powerful prayer is the one that you're on your face, or at least on your knees. You know, but if you're standing and praying, well, God doesn't hear that prayer as much as He hears the one when you're 
on your knees and on your face. And so there was a time in my life, I'm, I'm not proud of this, but I would get down on my, and then I got older. And it's not easier as you get older to, because you get down, you're kind of like, your prayer is, Lord, just help me get back up when I'm done. But it's not the posture of your body, it's the posture of your heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Prayer needs to be from the heart, from your heart to His heart. And when your prayer is from the heart, it moves His hand in ways that you could have never imagined. That's how powerful prayer is. Well, this brings us to the second one in verse 19. And this is a biggie. I mean, they all are, but there's something I want to point out here that can be easily missed at first read. A couple of thoughts on this particular verse. The first of which has to do with the power of prayer when it's both fervent and specific. Specific prayer. In the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote, and certainly here in Hebrews, what you notice is this common denominator of specificity when it comes to prayer. Don't be generic in your prayers. Be very specific in your prayers. Why is that important? Because when God answers that prayer, if that prayer was specific, there's no mistake. That was a very specific prayer. And God answered it specifically as I prayed it, as only He can. If it's generic, then there's always that, that question, that doubt of, hmm, well, it could have just been a, you know, like, yeah, well, thank you, Lord. <laughs> when you pray specifically and fervently and effectually, those prayers... God answers. Now what's the application in the context here in verse 19? Well, the writer is asking for prayer specifically. In fact, he's even urging them. This is urgent, you guys. Pray specifically that I may be restored to you. And it's even more specific. Not that I'm just restored to you, but soon. That's very specific. Specifically that I am restored to you, and it's done quickly, soon. Wow, that's interesting. It seems to me that there were obstacles in the way that were preventing him from doing so. And if I could take it a step further and suggest that this verse would also infer that the writer knew that the only thing powerful enough to remove those obstacles was prayer. I mean, you could try this or that, but there are some obstacles in our lives, and maybe something is coming to mind right now. That's the Holy Spirit. There are some obstacles in our lives. Let's call them hindrances if you want these barriers, these things in our Christian lives that are obstacles, and the only way to remove it is to pray. Who knew? God knew. He wants us to know. You know, I always 
like to. I don't like to. That's not really true. I. It's again very convicting when I do, but I'll take a verse like this and I'll flip it around the other way. And what I mean by that is, okay, so what obstacles in my life remained obstacles in my life because I didn't pray? <laughs> it doesn't take you very long to, <laughs> you start reflecting back on those things. And then you come to the realization, and it's not a condemnation thing, but it's a, it's a needed conviction thing. You come to that place where you realize that had I but prayed, that obstacle would have been removed. Interesting, the writer is longing to and wanting to and asking them for prayer, specific prayer, so that he can be restored to them. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Think of it like this. What obstacles are there that require prayer in your life that heretofore have kept you from restoration, reconciliation with someone else? There's this obstacle in the way. What's going to move it? The only thing powerful enough to move that obstacle is prayer. Nothing else is powerful enough. Well, this brings us to the third one, and it's in verse 20. And it's that prayer keeps our hearts at peace. Now, I know you've heard that saying, we sing it. I know there are hymns and songs about it. But it goes like this. There's power in the blood. You heard it. You said it. You sing it. There's power in the blood. Well, this is exactly what the writer is saying here in verse 20. Notice he says, it's the God of peace, hang on to that, through the blood, the blood of the eternal covenant that brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. That's power. That's power. So powerful that it could resurrect and bring back from the dead Jesus. That's power. Notice the inclusion of and detail of through the blood of the eternal covenant. You know, it's sad actually, I, I don't mean to go off too far on this, but it is a thing. You'd be hard pressed in this day and age, in this world that we're living in, to find a church that would even mention the blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, it wasn't that long ago I was told about some churches that were actually revisiting their praise and worship songs and the words in those songs. And, you know, just, just not, not, we don't want it to be bloody. No, it needs to be bloody. So they substitute songs, words, so that you don't sing or hear. Now, certainly the pastor's not going to teach a passage on the blood. The blood, ooh. No, I need a, a teaching on and a 
a praise and worship song about the blood of Jesus. Because it's the blood of the new covenant. And there is power in the blood. You know, again, doubtless you've heard or even prayed yourself, the blood of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus. That's a good prayer. That's a really good prayer. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. It's through the blood, the power in the blood. The blood of Jesus is powerful. That's the basis upon which we even have access and entrance into heaven. It's because there's no remission of sin, remission of sin, without the shedding of blood. It's the power of the blood of Jesus. Okay, pastor, how does that fit in with peace? Ah, I'm so glad you asked. You asked, right? <laughs> I'm going to answer. This power in the blood brings peace with God, and subsequently the peace of God. See, the blood of Christ. See, we're, we're at enmity with God. And then Jesus, who shed His blood in our stead, instead of being at enmity with God, now we have peace with God. Then when you have peace with God, what always ensues is the peace of God. That's how powerful it is. I think perhaps the best example is in Philippians chapter 4. You know it well. The Apostle Paul basically says, I'll just sum it up, paraphrase it, you want to worry about nothing, thank God for anything, and pray about everything, and the peace of God from the God of peace. That's not a play on words. The peace of God from the God of peace will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He will give you that peace that surpasses, bypasses, transcends human understanding. Here's what that looks like. Everything in your world, everything in your life is just falling apart all around you, and it's getting worse. And then you pray and it gets even worse. You think to yourself, I'll stop praying, maybe I won't get, keep getting worse. It doesn't work like that. But everything's going so bad. Everything's falling apart. Everything's crashing in around you. And yet, you have peace. And people are looking at you a little bit funny. What's the matter with you? Look at what's happening in your life. Aren't you like freaking out? No. I have the peace of God from the God of peace. I, I, I'd like to know a little bit about that. Well, you see, it has to do with the power of the blood of Jesus that first reconciled me to God so I could have peace with God, so I could have the peace of God. And Jesus said, the peace that I come to give is not as the world gives. See, the, the peace that the world has to offer, it is not a good deal. Because basically it's this kind of peace. It's, okay, you can be at peace when everything's going well. Everything's fine. You can, you can be at peace. <laughs> well that 
for me, I'll just speak for myself, that would be like, at best, maybe a minute and a half a day when things are actually, you know, that, that's the only time I can have peace. That's the peace that the world gives. Jesus said, the peace that I give is not as the world gives. It's the peace that you can have that is available to you for the asking in prayer. And it's the peace that says, hey, everything around you is in utter turmoil and chaos, but you're on the rock, the solid rock. You know, I shared in the past, and maybe this is appropriate, just very quickly, but many, many, many years ago, <laughs> long time ago in a land far, far away, <laughs> we were on the mainland, we would go to Cannon Beach, Oregon. They had a Christian conference center there. They would have speakers from all over that would come. And we would drive down. We lived in Washington State. We would drive down to Cannon Beach, Oregon, spend a weekend, sometimes longer. Uh, we would stay there on the grounds in the cabins at this conference center, this Christian conference center, and there in Cannon Beach. And right there on the beach was what they refer to affectionately as Haystack Rock. I mean, it's the coolest thing. Not as cool as the Mokes, but cool. <laughs> so here you are, you're on the beach and you're looking at Haystack Rock, and sometimes the waves are such, and the tide is such that the waves are crashing in on this rock. The rock doesn't move. In fact, if you look close enough, what you're going to see on that rock are these birds oblivious to the waves below crashing against the rock. All they're doing is just praising their Creator, singing and praising their Creator, bringing glory to their Creator, which we're going to talk about next. And you can, storm waves, I mean, whatever, I'm on the rock. I am kept at peace on the rock. That rock is Christ. That's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's for the asking. The last one, verse 21. Prayer equips us for God's will. There's actually quite a bit in this verse. I'll try to do my best in the remainder of our time together, but what the writer is saying here is that prayer equips us for God's will, God's work, all for God's glory. I know again, that might just sound so typical, right? God's will, God's work, God's glory. But it equips us. Prayer is so powerful that it provides us with everything we need, all the equipment, if you will, to do God's will and God's work for God's glory. Prayer equips us to do His will, and He works in us so as to be pleasing to Him. I don't think there's a one of us that does not want to please God. Could you imagine? Yeah, I wake up in the morning, I figure out how I can live my Christian life in such a way that it brings 
displeasure to God. No, we, we want to please God. We want to be in the will of God. That's probably the number one thing. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Some of what you heard today may have encouraged you in your faith. There are many revered Bible characters mentioned in the book of Hebrews, people who lived ordinary lives but amounted to much in God's eyes when it came to faith. Perhaps you might be the same. You're living your very ordinary life, striving to live for God, but sometimes you make some harebrained decisions. Thankfully, God's looking at your life and your faith as a whole. This should be encouraging to you. You don't have to live up to perfection. Continue following this series with us in the book of Hebrews to gain additional glimpses of faith lived out. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry of In Spirit and Truth, go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're at our website, feel free to check out additional teachings from Pastor J.D. If you're ever in or near the Kaneohe area, we'd love to have you come join us. Visit Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times and directions on our website. Once again, that's calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Thanks for listening today to this teaching in the book of Hebrews. We hope you'll join us for our next edition of In Spirit and Truth, where Pastor J.D. has much to share with you about what God has been putting on his heart. Faith is something that's ongoing, so keep it up. Join us again on In Spirit and Truth. Oh.